This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. You guys, welcome to the show. I really, I love this episode today. And this is a new space for the podcast. Even after five years, I'm like, oh, this is the first time we've really in depth hosted this particular conversation on the show. And I'm so glad that you're here today. So right now you guys were in a series called For the Love of Being Seen and Heard. I don't even know if I need to explain why we're in that series. I think every one of us can agree that the longing to simply be understood by someone else, by other people, it's a core need. I mean, it really is like, it's something we, we physically need to be seen and heard by people who love us. And it's both critical and universal. Psychologist Marjorie Schumann said this, she said, feeling understood is a primary foundation of psychological safety And part of what makes it possible for us to learn to modulate our emotional states. Understanding is a basic element of intimate connection. To the extent that we feel accurately and empathetically understood, we can trust and feel close to one another. I really love that quote. And I, it's interesting how it has such an impact on our psyche that it gives us either the ability or inability to regulate our own emotions. Like this is, this is real. This is no joke. There are whole like groups and demographics of folks who experience not being seen or heard collectively in profound and even heartbreaking ways. And so pick your source, whether it's like lack of awareness or lack of education or fear or bias or just the difficult task of empathy sometimes. There are communities who are constantly being overlooked or who are misunderstood and it's not neutral. It's damaging and it's even traumatic. So one of those communities that we're going to talk about today are disabled folks. Did you know that upward of almost 30% of our population lives with at least one disability? I mean, that is a huge percentage, guys. But the rest of the population just may not understand or haven't done the work to understand what our disabled brothers and sisters are facing. 
And there's, of course, a ton of common misunderstandings. These assumptions that cause so much harm, like thinking, I don't know, all people in wheelchairs are chronically ill or sick, which is just not true. Or that maybe you think all disabled people need a caretaker, which is also not true. A ton of disabled folks are independent and care for themselves. And Or probably getting a little closer to the bone, assuming that people with disabilities need help or fixed right? And so instead of asking, you just like jump in and start assisting or othering. We're going to talk about this at length today because our guest has experienced all of these misunderstandings. We are so lucky to have Dr. Amy Kenny on today. Dr. Kenny is a disabled scholar practitioner at a little unknown university called Georgetown of California. And she's written about her experiences for all, just you name it, Teen Vogue, Sojourners, Shondaland, Readers, I mean, all, she's all over the place. And she's one of those people bringing understanding, support, education, and language, frankly, for all kinds of marginalized groups, not just the disabled community, but like including people experiencing homelessness, which actually led her to co-found Jubilee Homes, OC, which is a sub- a permanent supportive housing initiative in her community. Also, she's written an incredible book, you guys. And it's called My Body Is Not a Prayer Request. And it's amazing because a super interesting facet of Amy's work is based around faith communities. So she grew up in church. We're going to talk about all of this and what that experience was like to be disabled in a faith space where people are like, well, you'll have to hear her say it. But imagining that something is number one, wrong with her, and some number two should be fixed. And number three, maybe has a source of what can we do to pray away the source that made you this way? It kind of reminds me, she didn't mention this, but reminds me of the little moment in the Bible where the disciples come upon a blind person and they're like, who made you blind, your mom's sin or your dad's sin, right? I mean, some things just haven't changed at all. And so we're going to talk a lot about this and how she invites faith communities to rethink their ableism and to learn from the community about how to move forward and how to live like beautiful, authentic, interdependent, interconnected lives together. Because that's the whole point. That is really the whole point of what we're doing here. And so I found her so engaging and interesting and we could have talked forever and she's really candid with her story which I'm grateful for and we have a lot to learn here but I think you're going to love this conversation it's it might just click on a little light in a room for you and I hope that it does and I am so happy to introduce the wise and the wonderful Dr. Amy Kinney. Dr. Kenny, I'm so delighted to have you on the show. I'm so interested to meet you and been really just fascinated with your particular body of work and your personal story. So thanks for being willing to share both with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Before we kind of drill down into your work, can you just tell my listening community sort of where you are in the world, like who are your people, kind of what is your general deal? And then we'll really start parsing it out. Absolutely. So I'm currently in Washington, D.C., and I am originally from Australia by way of California. My accent tells a story, and there's lots of different chapters to it. Mm. 
Did you go to California for school? I didn't. I moved there with my family as a, as a kid. So kind of typical third culture kid experience where I identify with many different communities, some of which oh, claim yeah. me and some of which don't. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. I know it well. My youngest two kids are Ethiopian. They're adopted. And so they're like, I'm Ethiopian. I'm American. Weirdly inside that culture, I have a subculture called being I'm Texan. I'm like, honeys, <laughs> I know. Like you guys like dip into a lot of different pools. We contain multitudes. What can I say? Absolute multitudes. <laughs> I'm thrilled that you're here. And I'm really excited to talk to you about your book and what you have to sort of teach, teach us. Will you do this before I ask you a couple of pointed questions about it? Do you mind just kind of explaining to my listening community your front door into this work, why this matters to you, why you are sort of embedded in this conversation so deeply? Definitely. So I'm a disabled woman. I use that language specifically and talk about myself using identity first language because I'm not ashamed of my disability. It's an intrinsic part of the way that I navigate the world and the way that I am treated by the world and by various communities. And also because it's never really jived with me to say that I'm a person with a disability. It's not my roommate. It doesn't pay rent. It's not my handbag. It's not an accessory I get to choose when and where to take to a place. It's just an intrinsic part of the way that I navigate the world. And like any other intrinsic part of me, I have learned from it and with it and am, am proud to be a disabled woman. And so can you talk just a little about, so this is what I studied and this is what I learned and this is my area of expertise and, and this is sort of where my, the bulk of my work lies. Yeah, I am a disabled scholar as well as being a disabled woman. I am currently launching a disability cultural initiative and center at Georgetown University, which is, yeah, it's a, it's a very exciting and dreamy gig in a lot of ways because it's really inviting people to the party of learning from and with our disabled neighbors and getting to expand people's worlds in thinking about disability culture and moving beyond a compliance model and into community and culture and the vibrancy and diversity of our intersectional disability culture and community. And it's also a pretty rad job. So there's only a handful of these disability cultural centers in the country. And so with that comes a lot of educating folks on what it is and inviting people to get to experience a world that sometimes they haven't really known is that. We're 26% of the U.S. population and 15% of the world's population. So disabled folks are here, there, and everywhere. Absolutely. and we're ready to invite you to, to join us in this exciting movement. Hmm. I want to talk about one of the environments that was a big part of your story and what you write and speak about so eloquently, which is kind of coming up through some faith spaces, so some of the church culture and that community in general. So I also had my like full comeuppance through like church and 
when I started out as a writer and kind of as a leader of whatever stripe I was at the time, it was in a predominantly sort of evangelical space. And so it's interesting as I'm sort of looking through your work and reading your writing, I'm like going, hmm, I know this environment, number one. Familiar. I know these folks. <laughs> I, know, I know this. I know this language. I know all this. But it's so interesting to hear it from your perspective and what your experience was like as a disabled, well, girl, really, and young adult, ultimately teenager coming up through those areas in church and the very unique set of, honestly, like microaggressions and slights and well-intentioned harm you experience particularly in a faith culture. And it really made me stop and think, Amy, like, whoa, let me let me go back to my experience and sort of mine my memory. And you are right. I found a black hole of language, accessibility, the whole thing, run the gamut. I couldn't locate anything. And so... Can you talk about, I guess the, I think you've said it like this, unintentional ableism that you've encountered definitely generally, but maybe also specifically in the context of your church and sort of the faith subculture? Yeah, I say unintended ableism because I I do really want to believe it's unintended. And I think for most folks it is, but of course we know that it can still cause harm. And I grew up in a household and in a church community that taught me that everyone was made in the image of God. And I had the audacity to believe it. And unfortunately, I wasn't treated as though I was made in the image of God a lot of times because I received potions and prayers and shaming and Mm. all kinds of tactics. Yes, to try to pray me away, essentially. So what sin is preventing you from running is is a question I've received more times than I can. Oh, gosh. People rubbing potions on my head or oils or giving me some sort of unsolicited remedy to cure me, not realizing that I wasn't broken, that there was nothing to fix, that I was already sanctified and redeemed. And folks, I think, were trying to be faithful, but unfortunately, the in practice, what that meant is, is just recommending a bunch of really ridiculous remedies to me. You know, everything from, have you tried turmeric to, you know, hit your leg with a hammer? Somehow I'm still disabled, <laughs> surprising no one. <laughs> and I think that in a church community, why that stung so deeply is because we would proclaim that everyone was welcome and that everyone was made in the image of God, but then wouldn't really live that out. And unfortunately, through all of those prayers and remedies for so many years, it was very isolating. It was very shaming. And I had such a profound disconnect between what I had been taught and what I was and how I was treated. Certainly. So I wrote this book, really just processing my own experiences as a disabled kid in church, as a disabled woman now in faith communities, and wanting to invite others to reconsider some of that unintentional ableism and to think about 
how the Americans with Disabilities Act excludes faith communities, churches do not have to be accessible and and make sure that buildings and digital platforms and the community is accessible to disabled folks. And that's because some Christian leaders fought against the Americans with Disabilities Act when it was passed in 1990. And unfortunately, most folks are just ignorant to that and don't realize how we've been intentionally excluded from church spaces. And then even when we are included, there's often a caveat often a lingering assumption that there's something about us that is sinful or harmful or that needs further eradication. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. So get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O-allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. I'm curious. There's no way that you could bring this sort of message with such pointed examples located in your story, which was very much connected to that community and not have some conflict or some pushback. And I'm curious if that has been the case for you, if you've had to sort of kind of really stay rooted in your message against a lot, some, some kickback. You've been reading my diaries, Jen. (laughs) Uh, uh. And no, I've just been around here for a while. I've been in a faith culture for some time. I know how it works. And so being confronted on old and harmful thinking never goes well. Oh, yes. Same song, different verse. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They call you a prophet. And then when you you ask for folks to act in a way in accordance with our values, then they critique and call you a heretic. And it's... And I think a lot of it is fear-based and there's a tremendous amount of fear. I think for a lot of folks, I, re- I represent the Christmas of future, you know, for folks that they recognize that potentially one day you may join us by either age or accident. You will likely become disabled. Ah, I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. That's how inclusive we are as a community. And we can welcome you at any time. And I think there's a lot of fear in that. I think people are afraid of their perception of themselves and this idea that they will no longer be independent or be able to have this notion of their own pride of self that they have, not realizing that it's a beautiful interdependence that disabled folks bring and that we all 
can co-flourish when we have interdependence with one another. I think in addition to the fear of what my body mind represents to folks, I think that also it brings it brings up a lot of questions around theology, theodicy, big big concepts and words around how we understand what we're promised and given in life and what is given to us. Not really realizing that so many of the stories in scripture are centered around disabled folks. And so many of the stories in scripture are about disability being a prophetic witness and a source of wisdom. And that's uncomfortable for folks to recognize and acknowledge because then I think they really have to wrestle with what does that mean for me? And what does that mean for what a good life is and what a faithful life is? Mm. And this whole notion too, that has a lot of traction inside of faith culture, which is that any sort of disability or difference is something to be fixed, right? Like that is a very, a very Christian thing to think how, and what, what are the words we could pray or the amount of days in a row? And we will experience a miracle here, right? Like it does bring up a lot of interesting theology to wrestle with. I want to talk about that because you, you call the invisible qualities of God's divine nature, something that we embody, all of us. And you have a really lovely analogy around it. And I wonder if you can talk about this because this does go to, this is, this is the ax at the root of the tree here. Like, what do we think about God's divine nature? What do we think about people being made in the image of God? All of us as we are. And so can you discuss a little bit about your instruction using that as sort of the a center spoke? There's this tree outside of my home. It's twisty and crooked and bent and it's radiant. And I've never heard anyone critique the tree for being crooked or think that there's something less than about it. It's delightfully crooked. And crooked is a word that doctors and church folk have used to describe my body so frequently. This idea that it's crooked and bent and that there's something less than about it. But the community of creation is so delightfully crooked and jagged and bumpy and messy. We think about the bumpy trunks of redwoods, the snaking branches of elm trees, the ragged edges of maple leaves. And then if we expand into thinking about how kangaroos can't walk backwards, and no one thinks that they're less than, they're delightful, their hoppity-boppity gait is joyful and effervescent. Sharks communicate non-verbally. That sound that we think when we think shark is courtesy of jaws. The idea that we would think that because elephants are born blind or because lions sleep most hours of the day and are more like us spoonies than you know, being accomplished or productive, the idea that we would think any of those things makes any of the community of creation less than is almost laughable. That's right. And we have that framework. We just don't apply it to our human neighbors. 
And we create this hierarchy of worth in humanity where we say that societally constructed ideas of what's normal, who's intelligent, what's productive enough, who's contributing enough, all of those ideas uphold ableism, racism, transphobia, colonialism, they're all interconnected. And if we just recognized that all of us are made in the image of the divine, that all of us are radiant, regardless of how productive we are, or what our resumes say, or how many letters are after our name, that all of us are radiant. What if we could really believe that about ourselves, just as we do about that tree outside my home and about the kangaroo? And it was really marveling at the community of creation that taught me how to love my disabled body mind. And that taught me that my body is made of the same stuff as stars. Mm. Just watch me shine. I want to ask you, I hear in a number of environments, the disabled community being one of them, but also the work of like anti-racism, as you said, marginalization is all connected. It's, it's limbs of the same tree and it's fed by the same roots. And so there's a lot of crossover and uh, behaviors and patterns that sort of fit a lot of bills. And so as a community who, let's see, wants to do better, but maybe in any particular limb, let's say the the disabled folks limb, they don't have it's not in their it's not in their family, maybe their proximity to the community is they're gonna have to search it out. It's not so readily available to, to them to learn from somebody that they love or there's in their life. And so it is true that getting a lot of these things wrong causes a lot of pain and suffering. I think I would like to hear you talk about from your side with your community what you would love for other people to know in terms of look we're just talked we're here ask us or like how can you break down that Im- perceived barrier sometimes between proximity together because this is what you're saying interdependence and interconnectedness is really where the magic is that is when we start living and so for some of these like in some cases, invented barriers. How would you counsel us to begin to just chip away at that so that we are genuinely in community with each other? I think the first thing is don't rub potions on us without our consent. (laughs) Number one. (laughs) That's right. And, And as much as that's a joke, also ask before touching us. And 100%. There is so much so many instances where when I'm using a manual wheelchair, people just push me from one side of the room to the other without asking my consent, or they will rest, rest their backpack on the back on the handles. Or if, if they meet me in the grocery store or in a parking lot or in a library, they'll pat me on the head and tell me, good for you for getting out as though I'm a pet or a dog. Folks will use that tilted head, high-pitched voice sort of tone to demonstrate that they're uncomfortable and not be able to use the word disabled. It's There's nothing wrong with the word. We can just say the word. 
I will often get referred to as a that. How do you that? How, you know, what do we do with that? Just pointing to my mobility scooter, who's named after Wonder Woman. (laughs) So I think those are some very basic tangibles. You know, consent is important. Treating people as whole humans is important. And all of that distills down to disabled people are people. And as hopefully basic as that seems to us, that is so often not how we are treated. That's such a good baseline. Yeah, we are just so often treated as objects for other people's consumption or touch and not as subjects with our own wisdom. We have wisdom to teach the community. We have gifts to give the community, whatever communities we find ourselves in. And too often we're infantilized and treated as though we are just objects for someone else redemption or lessons or suffering. Totally. And there's the other end of the spectrum too, which you talk about, which you call inspiration porn, where the opposite impulse is to sort of over-celebrate disabled people and put them in this unwanted and certainly uncomfortable position of being poster children for feeling like overcoming courage, you know, you know how the narrative goes. And so again, treated more like an object, but like in this rah, rah, look at you. Good for you for just living a life, which doesn't allow for you just to be a human normal. Like I'm pissed today. I'm crabby. I don't just the human person. Like, again, it forces you into this like position to always be like on the pedestal. And so can you speak to that impulse and what that feels like and tell just to knock it off? Everybody knock it off. Amen. Knock it off. Yeah, just knock it off. Inspiration porn is a term coined by Stella Young and Mesun Saeed, disabled women who talk about the experience of people coming up to us and immediately assuming that we're going to be inspirational and that our sole purpose in life is to inspire you. And porn is very deliberately used because there's a consumptive quality to that. It's someone consuming us for the sake of your own pleasure. And if that makes you uncomfortable, it should. It is uncomfortable to be put on a pedestal, to be treated as a different category of human, even if it's meant in a praiseworthy way because we're disabled. Another version of this is when folks say, you're just a special angel or God just needed a special angel and that's why you're disabled, as though there needs to be some sort of cosmic reason for my disabled body just appearing at church. That needs to be explained by someone instead of just welcoming me as part of the community. It's uncomfortable and cringy because it's consumptive, but it's also uncomfortable because it suggests that my only worth is in connection to your personal growth and not just my own existence. And while disabled folks are creative and dynamic and beautiful and wonderful, we are human. And it doesn't allow for us to have the fluctuation and variety of human experience. Some days I need help putting my socks on. 
and getting dressed. And other days I don't. Some days I am annoyed because the bus won't pick me up. Other days I'm upset because someone used a disability slur or told me, I didn't know professors could be disabled. Thank you. And I should be allowed to have a variety of emotional responses to that and not only be here to be the poster child for positive, disabled existence. To say nothing of the myriad of other things you are. You're a reader and you love a certain kind of music. And this is the show you're watching on Netflix right now. Like it, it sort of erases the rest of you. Yeah, we contain multitudes. Of course. Like, of course you do. And you're gifted at communicating, obviously. And so when you just put it right on the nose, I just can imagine people go, oh, God, I think I've done that. I think I've done that. And I hear, interestingly, really similar experiences from, like, my friends of color. They're seen as as something to consume in some way to further somebody's journey or it's kind of gross and it's tiring hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think I'd like to hear you talk for a second about the disabled community. You've mentioned a couple of times, you've snuck it in there. Like, we are very inclusive. And we would welcome you at any moment, should you find yourself as a part of our... I'd like to hear you talk more about your community. What you have learned from one another, what is your favorite thing about being a part of that community and what the rest of us need to know in clearer terms about you. The disability community is beautiful, vibrant, diverse. We move at the pace of the slowest person on any given day who has the fewest spoons or who whose batteries are running low on their power chair or mobility scooter. We walk, roll, stim, sign, dance into interdependent collective liberation. I have learned from the disability community that I have permission to show up as myself whatever I am experiencing that day. We all have access needs. It's just that non-disabled folks' access needs are usually met. Usually there's somewhere for non-disabled folks to pee when you go to a restaurant. That's not always true for me. Usually there's places for to exit and enter a movie theater for non-disabled folks. That's not always true for me. And because non-disabled folks are so used to having their access needs met, they can be caught up in the myth that they don't even have them. And we all have access needs. Our body minds have access needs. And the disability community has taught me in so many different ways that we don't need to be ashamed of those access needs and that those can be met without condemnation or critique, without question. We don't have to ask, well, do you really need that? 
yes, we can just take your word for it and help meet your need and care for you as a community. Mm -hmm. In the disability community, we care for one another in a way that often others do not because so many of us know what it is to be treated like an object as we've talked about, but also so many of us know the trauma and harm that comes from the medical industrial complex, from faith communities, from academic ableism. And so because of that, it is generally the case that I've found that we really care for one another by passing each other the same, you know, 20 bucks back and forth to for a meal or helping one another strategize what to do when your access needs aren't met and supporting one another in small and profound ways. And then finally, we're just uniquely creative. We disabled folks live in a world that isn't built for our body minds. And so we have out of necessity been very creative in the ways that we navigate the world and disabled folks are constantly coming up with new ways to meet together, to meet one another's access needs, to make sure that that we have that deepened sense of community care. Everything from the electric toothbrush to the Snuggie, to touchscreens, to texting, to the potato peeler are created by and for disabled folks. Hmm. And non-disabled folks benefit from those too. Of course. We, I think disability is a, a culture and an embodied experience that contributes to the world. And, and disability is also a creative force that imagines a new world and invites us into a beautiful interdependence. Mm. I love that. I have one more question for you. And I don't know if you want to, you just mentioned the medical industrial complex being a source of trauma. So I wonder if you could expand on that a little bit and kind of share your lived experience in that space and what you not just would like to see, but what you deserve to see changed. That's its whole, that's a whole sermon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The medical industrial complex is just another space that is not created with us in mind. And of course, ironically, right. They deal in bodies. <laughs> yeah. So many of us, so many disabled folks, trans folks, black folks, so many of us have been harmed by the medical industrial complex. Again, often unintentionally, but because of the systems at play, nonetheless, a survey was done by Harvard of doctors a few years ago that found that over 80% of doctors believe that disabled folks have a poor quality of life. And that's how many admitted it to our face. Imagine what they say behind our backs. Golly. That is a large number of folks in the medical profession. And that is going to impact the type of care that you give to people. Because if you think that just by virtue of my existence, I have a poor quality of life, you are probably not going to think about the array of you know, complex different interventions and therapies and remedies that you could offer in any given scenario. Mm. When my appendix burst, doctors said it was just a bug and I was overreacting. 
I've had other surgeries where doctors said it was just the flu or menstruation or just constantly trying to brand me as hysterical, not recognizing some very serious medical issues. And that on top of having to navigate this on the social and emotional level with folks and this faith level that we've been talking about and the structural level of ableism and the built environment not being accessible to us, we're also often having to fight for our very lives with medical professionals who are supposed to be and have sworn to be doing no harm. You know, it's so interesting and disorienting to just know and admit that doctors and nurses and medical staff, just like everybody else, they have internalized patriarchy, internalized ableism, internalized homophobia, internalized racism, and it affects their care. It does. I have spent a lot of time interviewing Black women around sort of the Black maternal crisis in the United States, like not in a foreign country, in the United States, the numbers are daunting and unambiguous in that they just receive lesser care. And they're choosing home births because they're like, well, I want to live and I want my baby to live. And doctors won't listen to me. And they tell me it's in my head and I'm hysterical. And so this is another layer for us to be paying attention to in elevating yet another area for our neighbors, which is medical care. Come on. I appreciate you talking about that. And I wonder if you could leave us with what you feel hopeful about right now, what you feel like, what's going right? What is improving? Where's the wind at at the back of your community right now in a way that feels like, ah, we're like moving down the road here. Like this is progress. I'm hopeful that we're having this conversation and that there's a willingness to want to unlearn some ableism and learn more about a community that some folks are less familiar with. I'm hopeful that I get to do a job where I am making space for and amplifying disability culture and inviting folks to understand what that is. I'm hopeful that we have a community that can connect in so many different ways online on zoom you know via different resources and that that interconnectedness means that we're not geographically bound because not everyone has the spoons today to meet physically with someone and and not everyone is safe to do so in the area that they're in And I'm hopeful for what we can continue to create together, given the inherent creativity of the disability community. Me too. I do have a last question for you, but before I get to it, can you please tell my community where they can find you, where they can follow you, where they can learn from you? Because you and I have scratched the surface. Like we've barely talked about some of the incredible things you're doing. Like there's so much more to learn. And, And then also about your book where they can find it, all of that, please. My book is My Body is Not a Prayer Request. 
And it is, if that title sounds lovingly snocky to you, it is. (laughs) (laughs) So learn more about my story and my experiences with faith communities and also inviting people into how I have experienced the divine and not just a critique of how I have experienced faith communities, what my hope is for them. And I'm not on socials at the moment, just for my own well-being. Well done. It's well done. Yes. (laughs) So they can, folks can currently find me in that book. That's perfect. I love that. Oh, how nice. How nice it must feel inside your clear brain off of Instagram. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yes. I've got five kids and most of them are like young adults in their twenties and they ironically are better at this than my age group. Like they are good at going, Oh, this is making me feel bad. I've taken it all off my phone. I'm going a year. I'm like, are you, can we do that? Like I, they're learning that, Oh, we're going to have to apply some new rules to this unprecedented social media world that we find ourselves in. Yeah. It's almost like it wasn't created for our well being. <laughs> it's almost like there's almost. some nefarious agendas <laughs> baked right into it. Oh goodness. Okay. So, okay, Dr. Kenny, this is a question I actually ask every guest in every series. And I borrowed it from a, an Episcopal priest, Barbara Brown Taylor, who's one of my favorites. And answer this however you want. How are you feel today? Like you might answer this differently tomorrow. I know I would. It can be silly or sincere. We'd love it all. What is saving your life right now? Definitely my students. They are a source of joy and a source of hope. And I am really privileged to get to do this work alongside them. Young adults, they're special, aren't they? I just could not agree more. I have a gaggle of them that belong to me, but I love that age group. I think they're so bright and interesting and courageous and engaged and all the ink that gets spilled about this next generation, I find hyperbolic and disconnected from real life. Cause I feel incredibly hopeful about this next generation. I'm like, yay. How soon can we pass the baton to you? Like do better than we did. I believe Good in luck. you. <laughs> Good luck. We've met, we've created some messes. I hope you, we wish you well um, as you clean them. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for being so candid with your own story and your own experiences. I I deeply appreciate and recognize that that is an emotional labor that you're choosing. You're choosing to do that. And so it matters and it will matter. And it will that will have impact and that will change people's minds and hearts and lives and hopefully proximity and communities and What a wonderful world that will be. I believe in your vision too. And so thanks, Chen. Thank you for your time today. Cheering for you. I can't wait to see everything you're putting your hands to just flourish and grow. And you are creating safety and goodness and loveliness in the world. It's marvelous. Thanks. Thank you so much for this. Okay, guys, as mentioned, because Dr. Kenny is emotionally healthy and has good boundaries, <laughs> she's not on socials. But if you go to Jen Hatmaker under the podcast tab, number one, I'll have this entire episode plus the show notes. Should you like to share it? 
We always love it when you share our episodes. That thrills us. And I'll also have links to her book so that you can find out more about her and her incredible work. And because as mentioned at the top of the hour, I mean, we barely scratched the surface. There's so much more here to learn. And I'm so happy that I that I have met her. And I'm always delighted to introduce people to this podcast community that I think are profound. And they're in their spot. They're in their little spot in this big, huge world. And they're, they're running the race. And it's fantastic to see. So more to come in the series, which we are so moved by. The love is being seen and heard. And it's always, of course, I think you know this. My goal and our goal as a podcast team to use this space, to use this show and this platform literally to see and hear people. That is our, I would say that's our North Star, to see and hear stories and perspectives and communities and blind spots. So this series for me is very meta. (laughs) It's very meta. And like, yes to this series and yes to this way of living. So anyway, thanks for being here, guys. There's more to come in this series for sure. So if you haven't already subscribed, do it. Just wherever you get your podcast, go subscribe and you'll never have to search us up ever again. We'll just come right to your door, which is just how we like it. And don't forget, if you ever want to watch an interview, we do a video recording of every single one. It's over on my YouTube channel. So you can pop over there at any time if you want to see my guest and watch us speak to each other. And anyway, that's there for if you want it. All right, you guys, see you next week.